Hey, it's Ella. I asked Dr. Zach Bush to come back on the show because you enjoyed him so much in episode 109. If you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it. But listen, if you have littles with you, somewhere just before about the seven minute mark, we have a slight dip into adult-oriented content that you might not necessarily want to explain to your four-year-old. So if you have littles around you and you hit just before minute seven, somewhere around six minutes and 45 seconds, hit fast forward for 30 seconds and you'll skip over it and you can go back and listen to it later. All right? Enjoy. Here we go. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and you are in for a treat because I have to tell you, I had Dr. Zach Bush on the air and you guys blew that episode up. So I asked him back, hey Dr. Zach, how are you? Hello, thanks for having us back. Really glad to be here. If I didn't have you back, there would be mutiny. I mean, absolute <laughs> mutiny because I, I asked everybody, you know, do you have any questions for Dr. Zach? I, I'm well, I'm happy to invite him back. You know, we talked about that on episode 109 when you were on Dr. Zach and I've got so many questions. I asked you to come back on and said, can we just go through everybody's questions? It's exciting. I'm that, this level of you know interest and excitement from your listeners is really indicative of the fact that we're at a, a tipping point with health and and the consumers getting clued in that that this is the source. The guts where it begins. Absolutely, and I'm going to encourage everybody to go back and listen to 109. And the reason why is it's such a great precursor to what we're going to talk about, and we're just going to jump right in. But I will remind you just before we do that that Dr. Zach Bush is actually a triple board certified physician. Uh, one of the few in the country, I might add, with an expertise in internal medicine, endocrinology, and metabolism, as well as hospice and palliative care. And he also has a clinic in Virginia. What is the name of your clinic in Virginia so that we can all rush over and see you, Dr. Zach? <laughs> That's right. Revolution Health Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, and just to warn you, our, our backlogged significantly for patients, <laughs> so don't run too fast. But uh, give us a call. It's Revolution Health Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. All right. Okay. Well, there'll be a line. That's right. <laughs> Listen, after I had you on, Dr. Zach, I got so much feedback, as I said, and I just want to share a couple of comments with you. And then we're going to jump right into reader questions. So Douglas just said, an incredible show. Hope to hear more on this topic. And I just want to say, hey, Douglas, you know, we're delivering. We're here to, we're here to deliver. Lassa said, Ella, this podcast was the best. We moved to a farm a year ago and last winter was the least sickly winter we have ever had. No surprise, right? Maybe, maybe one cold got us and we have little kids slash germ spreaders. I swear it's all this outside farm dirt that is keeping us safe. Say yay to bacteria. Don't you love that, Dr. Zach? That's a great review. I love that. (laughs) That was fun. And then Carrie Lynn said, love the show. I just recently stopped taking my probiotic every day because I wasn't seeing any big changes. Now, just once a week, I may take one. Our comments about probiotics blew people's minds. So again, check out 109 to hear the conversation on that. And then I'll just say on Instagram at Marvelous Madness was like, thank you, thank you, thank you for the miso tip. She was really appreciative of that 
And then one of my buddies on Instagram, who is known as HJM Delish, said, I was dialed into this episode like a murder mystery. Totally mind-blowing to me. I've always suspected that I've gotten myself into periods of serious inflammation from probiotic overuse, so this was such useful information. Thanks for the great content. I just walked around my yard twice barefoot and felt pretty great. So, Dr. Bush, see see what you're doing out there in the world? Evolution is afoot. I love it. I love what you're doing. Well, let's jump in as promised. One of the most useful questions that I got, I think, was quite simply, what are the signs that your gut is healthy and signs that your gut needs help? Can you start us there? Yes, it's a fantastic question because the the term gut health has been thrown around very carelessly by physicians as much as uh, the companies out there that, that are promoting probiotics or anything else. And so the concept of gut health uh, I think has been kind of really revolved around, well, my bowel movements are regular um, or they're not regular. And that's kind of encapsulated 80, 90 percent of the discussion. But in reality, when we're looking at what gut health actually means for your body, it's much more about your immune system and how it's reacting to your intestinal integrity or the the way in which your gut is managing the outside world and the immune system that sits right behind that gut wall. So it's immune function, it's the amount of inflammation you may or may not have in your body, and it's the way in which your brain is interacting with that. There's been such a focus on the gut-brain connection over the last 10 years, and we are still just scraping the surface of what is going to become a huge iceberg of reality of the fact that the brain really is your gut, the gut really is the brain. And so we know now that you know every condition out there uh, that's leading to chronic disorder or dysfunction is really going to tie back somehow to your gut flora. And it's that intestinal flora that uh, has been kind of captured by the probiotic industry. But their claims, as we talked about in the last episode, are really extrapolations of a belief system rather than any really hard science as to how long-term use of a probiotic would work. And so your first symptoms of gut dysfunction are going to be something around the, the range of this gut immune system and gut brain function. And so the exciting thing about health is that once you reach gut health, you aren't even asking the question anymore because you're so busy thriving. And that's the excitement that we have. When we're thriving, we rarely ask a question as to, to what does health feel like. However, unfortunately, the vast majority of us are sitting around not thriving. And so what we find is that uh, the subtle signs of, of neurologic stress that come from chronic immune stimulation are going to really tie back to your, your earliest signs that there may be an issue. These would include things like poor sleep quality. Sleep is actually one of the most difficult things the brain does. It takes a coordination of dozens of tracks within the brain to coordinate their efforts to shut down muscle activity, shut down different uh, patterns of respiration and muscle activation, and get your brain to relax and, and shut down the day. And that's not surprising because as many of you have experienced, it's not unusual for you to lay in bed staring at the ceiling with your whole day running like a train through your head. And so that kind of phenomenon of that fractured sleep, mind that won't shut down, is really a pattern of gut disruption. And so that's, you know, step one, is your sleep good? Step two, how's your sexual function? You know, these are really the, the most fundamental features of being human and being healthy. Do you sleep well? Are you able to reproduce? You know, all of these, the very basic <laughs> starting point of life itself. So sleep, sexual function. And then relationship. Relationship is the most complicated thing we do as humans. And when we find that there's stress in our relationships, it's usually mimicking or be a macrocosm of this 
micro stress environment of our gut. And you can see this in your coworkers, you can see it in your boss, you can see it in our politicians. The more uh, they get stressed at the biologic level, the more inflammatory their speech would become, their behavior would become. I really see that over and over again in my patients that they it's almost impossible to have healthy relationship when you have really inflamed immune system. And so those are some of the subtle kind of maybe not so obvious things of what is gut health? Are you sleeping? Are you having sexual drive? Do you have successful relationships that would allow that sexual drive to, to function? So those would be three that I'd really point to early on. Would you include under sexual function, would you include desire and libido? I think that's actually probably the most important because, uh, as we know, you know, sexual activity with a partner has lots of levels of complexity that may be, uh, you know, above and beyond what you can control with your day to day nutrition. So if you're having good sex drive, good libido, there's a lot of places to put that. And, and it's important to, for us to all acknowledge that it doesn't take sexual activity to fulfill um, that libido and, and strength. I, there's a wonderful woman out in, in Santa Fe who's a real mentor. She's in her 80s and she's been single for the last 30 years of her life. And I talked to her about this subject because she's one of these most vibrant human beings that clearly has a huge drive for life and, and joy to vive. And, and she's told me something brilliant, which is uh, sexual energy, when it's there, present and healthy, can be channeled either into sex and sexual activity or into other creative outlets, artwork, music, dance. And so think about that in your own life. Uh, don't pin your, your whole sexual outlet or sexual output just on the sexual activity. Think about how you can express that in dance. How can you express that in song? How can you express that in other activities of your life? Pour some of that, at least, into the creative process, and you'll see the same sense of reward and stress relief that you would get from a successful sexual encounter in, that, in those same creative outlets. So really great way to diversify the, uh, the channels in which that energy is poured into. This is so important because I know that a lot of people, as they get older, they blame sort of the dampening of that vitality and that desire. And I love that you're saying it doesn't have to just be purely sexual, that it can be it can be creativity and it can be your art and it can be movement. Like, I love that because it sort of broadens the picture for everybody and, and it's it's more inclusive. But how interesting that many of us sort of dampen that down, right? People turn it down and they blame it on age or they just know that it's been turned down and they blame it on age and life and stress. And you're saying this is one of life's really important dynamics and, and one of the th signs that you're alive and healthy and vibrant. And if you're not engaging in any of the ways that you've alluded to, something's amiss. That's right. And it's important for us to not uh, allow ourselves to to look to our peer group to normalize things, correct? You know, it's easy to look around and say, like, well, you know, it looks like on average I'm doing pretty good. Well, that I really push with my patients and just with on every lecture circuit I go on is that you know we need to, as human beings, stop accepting mediocre as health. We need to push towards thrive. Because, frankly, we're at a tipping point of human history. We are either going to go extinct or we're going to really shift everything that we do. And I think it really begins at these basics of life. Grab life fully today. Whatever you're doing right now, listening, you're in your home, sit down, close your eyes and just relax for a second. Take a couple of deep breaths. The reality is you're here for a purpose. You picked a tipping point in human history, a tipping point in human history of all the millennia that have been there. You came into the body right now when we have this opportunity to shift the way that humanity has been thinking. We're 
have the opportunity to up-level our consciousness together, and you're here. And so you're part of that. You have purpose right now. And if you're not living that purpose, if you don't feel like you're thriving right now, then just breathe into it. You don't have to go work harder to find it. Most of the time, you have to do less to find that purpose. You have to listen more. You have to breathe more. You have to sit still and listen to what's around you. And you will see the opportunities arise. And, and it's often just the little things in life. It's the reaching out to touch somebody in the day and take care of yourself in a way that you've known for years you needed to and you haven't. It's drawing some boundaries in your life. It's very likely you're leaking somewhere. You're putting energy out into a relationship or out into a job or out into somewhere where it's a drain on you. It's not building you up. Plug those holes up. Hold your energy. Find your purpose and know it's there and strive towards that. This is so, you are speaking right to my heart today, Dr. Zach, because this is so much what I'm focused on right now and what I want to talk about on the show and what I'm honestly trying to create in my own life. So you are just, you are saying everything that I am jiving with right now. And you're raising a question for me that some of the readers have asked too. And that is, is it true that our gut health and this second brain of ours has a lot to do with our actual mood? And would you go so far as to say that it even is related to depression or anxiety? It is our consciousness. In a bizarre way, this microbiome is our consciousness. It's our gene pool. It's our energy field. It's our consciousness. And the way that I can be so confident about that is just by the sheer numbers. Um, we may have covered this in your last episode, but just to review, you have maybe 70 to 100 trillion human cells. That is a vast number. You cannot really picture the system of 100 trillion cells. But that said, your bacteria are 15 times bigger in number, 1.4 to 1.6 quadrillion bacteria in and on the human body. The genetics show that you have around 20,000 genes. Your microbial genome is around 2 million genes. So you are a hundredfold outnumbered by this extraordinary life just in the bacteria. And so what I can tell you by those numbers is if they wanted to beat us, if they were against us, they would have won. We are so vastly outnumbered by this microbial life of fungi and viruses and parasites and bacteria that we would have lost long ago if there was a competition for life. But there is a cooperation for life. Your purpose here, your purpose, whoever you are listening, you are here to be part of this realization of life is cooperative. And so if you feel like your health is not sustainable, if you are draining and you feel drained every day, you're not plugged into this massive macrocosm. And that's the support system you're missing. And so we had that listener uh, write in that you mentioned early on. She did a couple laps around her garden barefoot and yeah. felt better. It's these little steps of saying, these freaking rubber-soled shoes I've been wearing since I was two need to come off. I need to get my skin on the ground. I need to feel what soil feels like between my toes because I don't even remember what that feels like. I need to breathe out there. We complain about these things because I think we have an inherent intuitive sense that they, it could be better. We could get over this thing. And that's the, the amazing piece that we discovered in 2012 was in 2012 in my laboratories here in Virginia, we had an incredible experience of being able to isolate and turn on these, these molecules that are the communication network of this whole system. And so this became a dietary supplement eventually, and this, that supplement is called Restore. 
But the raw ingredient, the, the basic ingredients of that is a communication network between the bacteria, the fungi, the viruses, the parasites, every one of those species. These guys are all making these little carbon snowflakes, each one a little bit different, that in, a, in their whole constitute a fluid communication network, a vocabulary of health and healing and restoration. So that macrobiome of yours, you mentioned, do you think this is related to mood? It is mood. It is the brain. It is thought itself because without that communication network, one cell cannot find the other cell. And it's that isolation that's happening down at our cell level that leads to all of the epidemics we see around. Okay. I want to deep dive into this for a moment because I know that some people are like, wait a minute. I will buy that my gut health is my health. I will buy that my gut and brain are connected because frankly, so many of us are living that and, and the consequences. But talk to us about the communication network that you're referring to and feel free to explain to us what Restore, the supplement that you mentioned, is because I know that it is it is central to this story. But what do you mean there's a communication network? So yeah, the the beauty of the situation is that the no single cell is is made to live alone. A cell has to be connected to its neighbors, and we now know that it actually has to be connected to its distant neighbors to make sense of what it's supposed to do, both in its ability to repair and its ability to to really promote a functional and productive human body. And so a neuron in your brain or a muscle cell in your arm or a liver cell that's going to detox your food or a kidney that's going to eject all of the oxidative or stressful buildup from your normal metabolism, all of those cells only function when they are in coordination and communication with their neighbors and distant neighbors. And that's the beautiful thing about this discovery of this communication network. The communication network we're talking about is simply the wireless network that puts the cells into their natural motion of health, healing, and thrive. Imagine your cell phone for a second. There's a computer in there that is capable of both receiving and transmitting signals to your distant relative anytime. But if you are not within a few miles of that cell phone tower, it's totally dysfunctional. And not only can you, it does it not no longer function as a communication tool, it starts to degrade because it can't, uh, can't reload and upload or defragment its software. And that's exactly what's happening at your cell levels. When your communication network goes down, there's a sludging up of the system that happens. You can't defrag the, the computer. You start to get viruses that build up in that computer that fragment it and, and can't cleanse out. That's exactly what's happening at your cell level when you don't have a communication network. Is that because of just the day-to-day abuse that our bodies take and the toxins that are present in our food supply and our air supply and our water supply? Or is there something else that we have more control over here? I think it's twofold. I mean, obviously, there may be many more fold than that. But the two obvious ones are the ones that you just mentioned. When you lack that communication, you, you can't trigger the normal mechanisms of repair and detoxification. But a huge another piece of it is actually this literal loneliness piece. When a cell becomes lonely, it, it is the process right there of becoming a cancer cell. A cancer cell is inherently a lonely cell. And so the beauty of the concept around cellular health is always going to come back to communication. And the main communication system in the, in the human cells that we think about are actually from mitochondria. And mitochondria, just like the numbers we were just talking about with the, the micro microbiome, the mitochondria are also non-human. These are little power plants that live inside your cells. And the average human cell will have about 200 of these little organisms that live inside of your cells. 
they have their own DNA. They can replicate and, and die through a process called uh, triggered apoptosis. They can do all of these things uh, independent of what your cells are doing. The average neuron has 3,000 mitochondria. And these mitochondria make fuel from the food you eat. Your body cannot function on the, the carbohydrates and the fat and the proteins you eat. Those are useless to the human cell from as a direct fuel source. Instead, the bacteria have to turn that into macronutrients of sugar and fat and channel that to the mitochondria, which then take either of those macronutrients and turn it into ATP or adenosine triphosphate. That's the only molecule that your cells can run on. And so that ATP molecule is really the fuel uh, that's produced in the long run by all of these non-human organisms, first the bacteria, then the mitochondria, that will then feed you. In the exhaust, if you picture the exhaust of that engine, the metabolites or breakdown products as that's producing that ATP fuel is a communication network. They're called redox molecules. We used to think in the 1990s when, uh, that these were really dangerous to the human cells and had to be cleared quickly or they would build up and be toxic. By the time I was doing my research at the University of Virginia, I was finding, oh my gosh, these guys are the secret to human health. Um, these guys produce this redox signaling or positive and negative charge signaling system that allow for cell-cell communication to happen. And with, that, with enough communication at these mitochondria and at the bacterial levels, we find this resilient ability to push towards health at every second. So Restore came out of your insight that our cells are communicating with one another? Am I getting that right? I, was, I wish I was that intelligent. I, it was an accident. <laughs> um, you know, it was, I think, big paradigm shifts that happened in science, and this was a big one. We, before this, we really didn't see the bacterial biome as an intelligent source of life or source of um, you know, communication for these big eukaryotic multicellular organisms like us. Uh, I would say we had really relegated the bacteria to a very low level of, of uh, importance for, for most of the last hundred years. And in this last few years, we've come to realize, oh my gosh, these are very sentient, very reactive um, species that are really responding to their environment intelligently and are building this huge communication network that doesn't just allow the bacteria of those 30,000 species to talk. They allow the bacteria to talk to the mitochondria. They allow the bacteria to talk to the human cell at the nucleus and all of this. So really cool that the bacteria and the fungi and, the, and all these parasites, they are the interspecies communication. And I would say the humans have really lost any involvement in that interspecies communication. We've become so enamored with our own words and with our own species that we have so disregarded the rest of nature. And we've decided we could rape, pillage, and, and rule over that na nature rather than participate in it and listen. And it really is the fabric of life, and we're missing it. We're spending too much time in Wi-Fi and powdered cars and drywall boxes and just toxic environments. And so we've got to reconnect and start to look to these other organisms. So that was a roundabout way of saying I had no idea this existed. But what I did recognize was that it looked a lot like the mitochondria and their communication network. When we found these molecules in 2012, there was a sudden realization of, whoa, what if the bacteria could talk? What if they were as good at talking or perhaps inherently have to be better at talking than the mitochondria. Why would that be? The mitochondria only have three species. The bacteria with 30,000 species having to talk and balance with 300,000 species of parasite, 5 million species of fungi. Imagine the complexity of that language. 
and must function so smoothly to be able to coordinate that volume and complexity of life. So I entered into that process with my colleagues with a very narrow viewpoint of what we thought these were going to do. Uh, we thought these were going to really uh, be important in, in restoring cell-cell communication in some of my sickest patients. And what we found as soon as we put it in a clinical use, first in myself, I was the first human on these things, and, and then subsequently in my colleagues and, and many others uh, down the road with my patients, we found that we were getting all kinds of unexpected results. And some of the most exciting really have to do with acute inflammation. And when we see ourselves slip away from that, from acute into chronic inflammation, we see a huge dysregulation of the body, and that's when all kinds of symptoms and diseases and disorders can crop up. But we're way upstream of that. What we're dealing with now is the communication network around acute inflammation and maintaining everything in an acute uh, inflammatory environment where every injury is immediately met by an equal and greater response from your body's healing capacity. That's what this communication network is about, is maintaining acute inflammatory response and always adding complexity and diversity to the bowel flora. And we were not expecting the, the bacterial benefits because this compound is sterile. There is no bacteria in Restore. This is not a probiotic. It's not a prebiotic. This is literally the communication network made by bacteria and fungi and viruses and the rest. And that communication network had a sudden impact on gut health that we weren't expecting. People were seeing doubling of the volume of their bowel movements within days on the same diet. It turns out that the, a big bulk of your stools is actually bacteria that are turning over. They've lived their short lifetime and they've moved on down through the bowels to leave space for the next generations. And so th those dead and dying bacteria that are in your stool are going to reflect the overall population. And so we were seeing in three days and five days recovery of stool volumes that hadn't been seen in years or decades in our patients. So we were seeing some sort of really fundamental truth about thrive at the bacterial level from the, this incredible communication network. What is Restore made of? So that we are extracting this from uh, fossil soils. The active ingredient are these carbon molecules, and we like to refer to them as carbon snowflakes because each of these carbon-backed molecules, which have anywhere from 12 to 24 carbon molecules in their backbone, um, are then have a bunch of side chains, which are oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon combinations. Okay, Dr. Zach, I just want to zoom out for a moment here. I will share Restore. It's a supplement that I take, and I'll share the links to that with everybody. And I'm pretty sure your team has given me a discount code, so that'll be in the blog post as well for this episode. But Dr. Zach, I got to share something with you. I eat pretty clean, and so do a great many of my listeners, and, and real clean, not fake clean. <laughs> yes. And one of my listeners said, I feel like the more clean, you know, unprocessed, fresh, local, you know, no pesticides, the more clean I eat, the worse my gut symptoms are. I would love to hear about ways to decrease bloating and avoid developing food allergies. Help. It is so frustrating. Dr. Zach, what have you got for us? Fantastic. So there's two major pieces that we usually see that are really driving the gut dysfunction in this quote-unquote healthy gut. Mm -hmm. And so when we have people who are eating healthy and really trying to thrive, this is actually how we found Restore. We had a segment of 30 to 50% of our patients that no matter how much kale we fed them, no matter how much fantastic juicing we did, they actually got worse, not better, more bloating, 
more fatigue, everything else. I was running a nutrition center around managing chronic disease with food. And so we were experts in, in helping people move from a typical American diet to just a super clean, super nutrient-dense, fantastic food. And so we had to start asking the question, how is this happening? Why is 30% and 40% of the population responding inappropriately or backwards to what seems like the best dietary decisions and moves ever. Yes. And it's mentally draining. It's so frustrating when you think you're doing everything right and you're actually getting worse. Exactly. So frustrating, so debilitating. And that hopelessness, of course, just throws us right back into our bad habits. And so the reality is it doesn't matter how clean you're eating. It matters how is your body processing that food. Mm -hmm. And there's two very big categories of the macronutrients that we tend to overemphasize. And that's overemphasized in a clean diet, in fact. Now, you know, we can think for a moment about a processed food crap diet. It turns out you're really eating only three things, right? You're eating basically some amount of high fructose corn syrup or other simplified carbohydrate that is uh, from corn. Mm -hmm. Or that sugar is so easy for your body to manage that it doesn't even need bacteria really involved. That can pretty much go straight to your liver, then out to your bloodstream, and then deal and go through a mitochondria and cause some stress at every level there, but it's not going to take a biome to manage that. And second of all, that processed food has almost no fiber in it. And so we have really eliminated fiber from our diet through the last 60, 80 years. And so our guts are pretty unprepared to deal with those two pieces of um, the diet, which would be fiber in, in the uh, vegetables and fruit and high protein loads um, that are not uh, broken down yet for us. Let me jump in here and just make sure I understand. You're saying that basically if you're eating a standard American diet or a crap diet, as you say, um, it's essentially, it's basically corn, sugar, or soy, right? <laughs> That's like oh, the basis yeah. of the standard American or processed food diet, I suppose. The processed food diet okay. and then even the proteins that most Americans are eating are coated in some sort of oil. Okay. Okay. So, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So, so these oily proteins and, and then, you know, a lack of, complexity in the diet is what we're used to. Well, this has, of course, bred us a gut biome that's very narrow. And so uh, you know, our patients were having a hard time diversifying their bowel flora fast enough to deal with these dramatic changes in diet that we were inducing. But that said, after three years of working with these patients, it was starting to become a little hopeless. It was like, well, how, how long is it going to take for them to shift? And that's when we started to discover that, that a lot of these uh, elements of a healthy diet really require a very sustained protection of the immune system from that diet and the reason Wait, is, i don't understand that it requires a sustained immune protection from the immune system so the immune system needs to be protected from these large macromolecules that should never enter the body a good example of that is insoluble fiber and kale okay so you're saying we are having trouble digesting proteins and we're having trouble digesting insoluble fiber probably because a lot of us, while we might be eating clean now, maybe we didn't grow up that way. I mean, my hand is raised or other people, for whatever reason, let's just keep it simple. We're not digesting our proteins well, and we're not digesting insoluble fiber well. And this is requiring an immune response. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So the immune response is really due to the leak. And so because we have so much roundup in our environment, we are now leaking uh, across all the membranes. And that's not just the gut membrane, but the blood vessel membranes, your liver membranes, uh, the blood brain barrier itself, the kidney tubules, all these systems are leaking due to the, the, the presence of this toxin roundup. 
And that Roundup is the most ubiquitous thing in our environment now that's negative for our health. You're talking about weed killer, Roundup, pesticide, Monsanto? That's it. Okay. That's it. Gotcha. And, uh, unfortunately, not, you know, well, fortunate or unfortunate, I'm not sure, but some 90% of the Roundup made, or I'm sorry, the glyphosate, which is the active ingredient Roundup, about 80 to 90% of that made worldwide is no longer made by Monsanto. It went off patent in 2007, is now made by all five of the biggest chemical companies in the U.S., and the vast majority of it is actually made over in China and dumped on the world marketplace for pennies on the dollar. And so this chemical we're now using at a volume of 2 billion kilograms a year in, in our soils. Unfortunately, it's a water-soluble toxin that then gets into our water system, evaporates into our clouds, and rains back down to, on us. In the United States right now, we have 70% of our rainfall, 75% of our rainfall, 70 to 75% of our air contaminated with glyphosate. So we're breathing it. It's raining on us. We try to eat organic, but the reality is it rained glyphosate on that stuff at some point. And so you can't completely eliminate glyphosate from your environment anymore. And so what's happened is we've had a breakdown in the Velcro or protective environment of our gut. And so now these foods that are coming into our body that for from the beginning of time, the beginning of human history, they have been good for us. The cruciferous vegetables, unbelievable anti-cancer effects, anti-inflammatory effects, all kinds of stuff. But the reality is those, those foods, once they're introduced to a gut that's leaking, can pose this huge problem. And so by and large, I find that women who are so frustrated at their guts and like, why am I bloating so much? And I ask them what they're eating. It's salad. They're eating salads all day, every day, trying to lose weight. They're trying to, you know, simplify their diet. And they know that kale is good for them. And everybody, every flipping restaurant in the United States now has some baby kale <laughs> salad on their menu. And it's like this huge fad. And I just have to laugh. I'm like, we are absolutely making ourselves miserable with all this pseudo health food effort here. Kale is so good for us, but we have to have an intact gut to manage that insoluble fiber. And so if you're going to eat kale, you may find that you deal with it much better if you really uh, steam that vegetable down so the insoluble fiber starts to break down before it hits your gut lining. It's so funny. I just talked about this on a show. And what I would ask you here is, what about broccoli and cauliflower and all these other vegetables that are supposed to be good for us, Dr. Zach? How how are we supposed to eat them? Or are we supposed to not eat them until we heal our gut? Um, now I'm getting, now I'm, now I'm really frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would say eat them, but I would say eat them with moderation, you know? And so what we tend to do is anything but moderation in this country. So kale is a good example in that, you know, now you can't walk three feet without having a kale option in front of you. And so, you know, I think we should be eating broccoli and Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and kale as a mix, right? And it should always be, a, you know, a couple tablespoons. It shouldn't be a five-pound salad of kale covered with garbanzo beans and kidney beans. You know, it's like, good Lord, no wonder we're bloated. I feel like uh, you're like, you're, I feel like you're watching me. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know that? <laughs> well, you should put a piece of tape over your, your, your video. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, um, anyway, but yeah, it's just become this hilarious phenomenon where in our desperation for health, we've completely ignored moderation and we've now challenged a gut that was already inherently wiped out by Roundup, by glyphosate, which is first an antibiotic and then a toxin to the gut lining. And so it wipes out the bacteria in the soil, wipes out the bacteria in your gut, and then it causes leak across the membranes. And now we decide, you know what, I should really get healthy because I'm starting to feel like crap after two decades of this crap I'm eating. Now I'm going to challenge it with a massive kale salad. And what the heck am I doing bloating? That doesn't make any sense. Well, in hindsight, we should have predicted that phenomenon. As a doctor, I should have predicted in my patients, but it took me a few years of pounding all this 
you know, nutrient dense food in and seeing the wrong results before I started to realize gut health has got to go deeper. And so we started asking simple questions. You know, this didn't used to be the case with humans. We have all this nutritional data from the 60s and 70s that said that, you know, these foods had an immediate anti-inflammatory effect. They could reverse chronic disease, all kinds of amazing things just in the food. And then we, so we started to say, well, is the food different? And if the food is different, what has happened to the soil that we grow the food in? And you don't have to be a farmer to know that we have changed the right. way we grow food. And so a tomato, for example, that's on a typical grocery store shelf has never seen soil. It doesn't even know what dirt tastes like. It literally has been grown up in a hydroponic pool of water that has some a few nutrients and electrolytes dumped into it. And so we have food that is unintelligent. We have food that was born in an isolated, sterile disconnected environment. And I would say the very same thing for our meat industry. So we were just talking about vegetables. Now let's take a look at the meat industry. The meat industry is producing the sickest, most stressed out population of animals in human history. Cows are one of my favorite animals on earth. My daughter is just phenomenally fanatical about cows. I live in Virginia where we've got all these rolling hills. It looks like the countryside of Ireland or something like this. And you got these bucolic scenes with these big cows kind of lumbering around and enjoying life fat and sassy. And then they suddenly end up in a feedlot. And at that feedlot stage, they are so stressed out. And within days and weeks, they're starting to manifest autistic behavior. They're in sensory overload. They're skittish. They're terrified. They, and so they have now turned on every stress pathway in their body. What we know by about that now is that the, at the genetics level, they're expressing something called microRNA, which are the on-off switches for distant genes. And the scary thing about it is that some... 5 to 10% of the microRNA, these on-off switches for your genes that are in your bloodstream right now, are from the food you eat. And so if you're eating a stressed-out tomato, nothing's worse than a stressed-out tomato, I can imagine. <laughs> right? so if you're eating a stressed-out, pissed-off tomato, and you're eating a big piece of steak that's been stressed out in its last few months of life, or you're eating a chicken, which is, I think, at the highest level of stress of any organism on earth right now is the poultry industry. And so the poultry industry is definitely the most inhumane, most, you know, sick ridden, disastrously diseased uh, food source that we have. Yeah. And yet chicken is always the thing that women are encouraged to go to on the menu. Don't eat the beef, eat the chicken. It's better for you. It's white meat. Well, that was the best PR campaign based in history, but it absolutely has nothing to do with science. And so the chicken turns out to be extremely high in something called arachidonic acid or the precursors to this inflammatory cascade of arachidonic acid. And so it, if you were going to pick any one food in America that's probably leading to the most damage, chronic kidney disease, all kinds of things, uh, hypertension, metabolic disorder, I would point to chicken as the number one nutritional macronutrient cause. Wow. Oh, wow. This is big because a couple of things. First of all, it's absolutely prolific. And so prolific. it's the only thing that's more prevalent than kale on the menu. Wow. <laughs> that's right. And pissed off tomatoes. And um, you're saying it's because of how they're sourced. I mean, the way these poultry farms, the mass production of chicken. Mass you're not, you're not talking got, about the farmer at the farmer's market. I've got 100,000 chickens under lights, everything else. So that's where you get the most stress. But it turns out that the arachidonic acid piece that fuels inflammation is even in your grass-raised happy chicken. It's simply right. part of their, their meat makeup. And so chicken needs to leave the diet. I really believe that we need to get the chicken out. Okay. I have so many questions, but I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> well, I, I, let's summarize that real quick, I guess. Yes. So if you're frustrated with your gut right now and you feel like I'm eating so clean, I'm eating local, I mean, just do yourself the simple favor of eat less salad. Eat more variety on the plate. 
small pile of grains like you know there's buckwheat and there's farro and there's quinoa and there's you know one of my favorite ones is black rice there's so many interesting grains out there that have gotten inappropriately lumped into oh grains are bad there, there's so many good nutrients out there so a little pile of grains and a, and a pile of cruciferous vegetables it's a couple tablespoons not a whole bowlful you know just be reasonable and and eat variety throughout your day and throughout your week and you're going to see your gut relax it's your desperate effort towards these huge bowls of kale with a side of chicken with no gluten that's really driving you crazy. And so you're, you're doing some things right, but chances are if your gut's telling you that there's a problem, you're overwhelming it with something. And nine times out of ten, it's going to either be chicken and other animal proteins or your un- insoluble fibers in, in your big cruciferous vegetables. Okay. So, Dr. Zach, what types of animal protein are you a proponent of? So the proteins that I like the best are going to be, you know, in, in your vegetable category for sure. And so uh, the variety is more important than the density here. Um, but something like a Brussels sprout is pretty interesting. Uh, you actually get more protein per calorie in a Brussels st- sprout than you do in steak. What? And, yeah, it's fascinating. And so uh, I love Brussels sprouts. I think that uh, a roasted Brussels sprout with some a really good high-quality olive oil drizzled over it at the end of the roasting, you know, olive oil can burn, so you don't want to roast at high temperatures with that. But a drizzle of a great extra virgin olive oil over some roasted um, veggies, uh, which would include things like turnips and your Brussels sprouts and, and then maybe a sweet potato onto that plate, that drizzled with with olive oil and then a, a sprinkle of uh, sea salt is just heaven. I mean, there's just so much nutrient there. There's so many protein sources there. Another completely unexpected source of protein is the mushroom. And so mushrooms are have some of the most unique protein structures out there and are very dense in protein again. Wow. Uh, and so uh, really uh, emphasizing variety again. Uh, you know, you got a portobello. I think the portobello craze is over, but you remember for about 10 years, every place had a portobello burger mushroom. It was the new steak, the new it burger. Was the new steak, right? <laughs> and so we went out of control with portobello mushrooms for a while. But there's so many fascinating ones that are coming more into vogue in your higher end restaurants and haven't infiltrated the lower scene yet. But you've got things like turkey tail and you've got your oyster mushrooms and your shiitakes and just this fantastic array of mushrooms that are available at things, you know, many of your higher end grocery stores now. And so going after that variety of mushrooms is a fascinating thing. I always eat mushrooms again with some healthy oil next to them. Um, I really believe that oil is an important piece of uh, the protein and we can go two directions with that. If you go, um, you know, to McDonald's and have a really toxic load of, uh, you know, hy- hydrogenated oils with your uh, burger, then you're doing double harm. Right. But if healthy protein like mushroom and you pair that then with a healthy oil like uh, a olive oil at low temperature or coconut oil or even like your new flax and hemp seed oils um, that are a little more touchy to work with because they oxidize so easily. But you get some of these oils in next to some of these gentler proteins and you really work wonder. And so that's um, some, of the, some of my favorite protein sources there. Another one is I, I've seen a lot of people over the years on raw diets. There is a huge benefit to raw um, as far as short-term gains. But again, most people I think are going to find they're going to bloat more. They're going to actually feel worse over time on a raw diet. Our guts may not be able to handle that immediately and it's something we need to work towards. I think there are individuals on earth right now that have worked themselves over decades towards a very healthy raw diet. But by and large, I find them being healthier 
because of our uh, food chain now, if they go ahead and cook some of their food. And so I'm a big proponent of staying in, in a mixed uh, nutrient and stuff where you've got some raw veggies in there, you've got some of the raw fruit experience, but you've also got uh, some cooked uh, protein sources and other nutrient sources in there. So I mentioned if your gut's not tolerating the, the kale salad, then steam some of those greens and help break down some of that before it hits your gut. Um, and then, uh, you know, really looking towards the, the legumes. And so I'm a huge fan of lentils. Uh, dal is one of the most amazing foods on earth. I, I think it's, you know, healed so many people in India and beyond. And so a simple lentil stew like dal or something like that goes so far. So if you pair that then with some of your veggies, your roasted yeah. veggies, and then a, a small helping of salad, you know, just and get away from lettuce and kale as your only salads. When was the last time you, you just grated up a beet, you know, or grated up some uh, carrots and turnips and put those together with a vinaigrette? You know, there's just really a lot of ways to go put a salad together without just having to do these greens. Do you do animal proteins at all or have you effectively eliminated those from your diet? I've eliminated any farmed meat from my diet, not just because of the concern around their protein structure, but because of their genetics. I'm very concerned about the effect of these microRNA that are coming from their stress levels affecting the genes that I turn on on my own body. And so I, I've gotten away from all factory-raised proteins for sure. The structure of chicken and beef are inherently inflammatory and so they're very acidic and so you would have to if you're going to consume those you're going to have to do that in moderation mm -hmm. and by moderation i really mean a couple times a month not a couple times a day oh wow so you know really backing off on the amount of meat you're getting is a good for your health and b absolutely necessary for this planet so you know there's a lot of people arguing that well grass-fed beef is really healthy well it's still l-carnitine which is an acidic protein so if you start to eat that in volume you're going to have to deal with that acid load and likewise, for the planet, it takes somewhere around 2,500 gallons to 5,000 gallons of water to produce one pound of meat. You actually save more meat – I'm sorry, you save more water for the planet by stopping eating one pound of meat than you do stopping showers for six months. Jeez. So the amount of ecological relief that we could bring as a population if we stop eating meat is just extraordinary. There is no natural resource we have that's more vital than fresh water. And we're pumping literally 17 trillion gallons of water a year in North America into our cattle. It's gross. Well, and please don't stop taking showers for six months to even it out. That's not cool. <laughs> Dr. Zach, people send in so many questions. How do you feel about a lightning round here where I just throw them at you and you just give us your quick and dirty? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. You've already answered. You told us a lot about some of the best foods and how much of them we should be eating to balance and maintain a healthy gut. And that was one of our, the questions I kept getting over and over again. And frankly, you have said some that I have rarely even never heard. So I'm going to go back and listen to these again because there's so much information here. Let me ask you about some specific elements or specific food items that people are asking about, okay? One reader said, what do you recommend when you think you're eating clean? There's that theme again, but you're still lacking in levels like B12 and magnesium. Are you a fan of multivitamins? Or do you Are you a fan of supplementing uh, if your blood test comes back and tells you you're low in these? What do you recommend? Great. So um, the Restore product is is really the communication network of the biome. The advantage there is that your ecosystem, your bacterial biome knows what you need. All of the B12 that you find in your gut or the gut of a, a cow, the rumen gut of the cow makes a huge amount of B12 because it has a different environment than our gut. And it has a huge biome, way bigger than ours. And it cranks out B12. It's the bacteria that make the B12, not the meat. And so the, the meat industry has fooled people to believe that the 
the meat has B12 in it because it's meat. No, the meat has B12 in it because it grew up with a healthy animal, ideally. And so when we're a healthy animal, we have tons of B12. I have patients who have been strict vegan, grew up third generation vegan, and at 40 years old without supplementation have normal B12 levels. It's because they inherited the right bacteria to make all that B12. They weren't relying on some artificial source for that B12 like their meat industry. And so get that biome exploding, and that's where that communication network really comes in. Enrich the complexity and diversity of your bowel flora, and it's going to fuel you up. Now, in the short run, I'm fine with sublingual B12 supplements and things like that just for a pick-me-up. But remember, it's going to be a short-term solution. It's not really going to get you really thriving in the gut. It has crossed my mind many times in in that supplementation process is it's probably not best to even take that daily Uh, because if you're loading your gut with B12, the bacteria that should be making the B12 are going to be suppressed, right? And so back off, you know, to the point where maybe twice a week you're kind of getting a high dose of B12 in there. B12 actually stays pretty long term in the the bloodstream and you're going to be able to maintain that level without taking it daily necessarily. And so try to load up with that that B12 a couple days a week if you need it if your labs are showing low. Magnesium is interesting, and I think that we're going to find out that there's a lot of nutrients out there, but this is probably the single best example of a nutrient that's not supposed to necessarily come from our diet. Magnesium is supposed to come through our skin in touch with healthy bodies of water. And so the ocean and and even your uh, freshwater streams can have very high levels of magnesium and other uh, trace micronutrients. And it's through the skin that we're really good at regulating magnesium levels. We spend a lot of time with gut usage of mag, and I, I use some magnesium frequently with with in combination with Restore. And so you could use a, a magnesium uh, citrate or magnesium malate or magnesium uh, glycinate or any of these magnesium salts as, as an oral. But it's useful to remember, I think I was supposed to be bathing in that magnesium. So I'm a huge fan of magnesium bath. Magnesium chloride is the most potent bath, just a cup of magnesium chloride into the bath. Uh, soak in that for half an hour and rejuvenate your body's uh, re- restoration or the reservoir of the magnesium. Magnesium oils, again, with magnesium chloride, you can make your own really cheap. You just get magnesium chloride salts from your health food store. They're big flakes. You go one-to-one with water. So you know, one cup of water with one cup of magnesium chloride s- salt, and you mix that in, uh, aggressively and it turns into what feels like an oil, and you rub that into the soles of your feet right before you go to sleep. Huge super load of it. Okay, next rapid fire. Apple cider vinegar, raw organic apple cider vinegar. Yay or nay? Love it all day long. So uh, organic, uh, well, all day long, it sounds like we're not going to be in, mo- in moderation here. But <laughs> let, I, I love this one. And it's such an interesting bacteria that's made. So Bragg's is the most available one out there. So Bragg's unfiltered organic uh, apple cider vinegar. It has a very specific bacterial strain in there that is actually one of the few bacteria on earth that can digest or break down glyphosate, Roundup, the chemical we've been talking about. And so I love starting the day with a tablespoon. It doesn't take much, just a tablespoon of that apple cider vinegar into a glass of water. um, And you can get it diluted enough where you can hardly really taste it. And it's got a nice crispness to it in the morning and everything else. It's something you can definitely get used to. I would say that half the people that try that or maybe 75% even are going to be uh, have an adverse initial reaction to it because their mouth just isn't used to it. But if you just do that teaspoon to a tablespoon into a glass of water and do that daily for a week, you just feel so much better in the gut. If you have bloating, you've got to do the apple cider vinegar. If you have heartburn, you've got to do the apple cider vinegar. 
Okay, Nicole, you heard it here. I hope you're happy. That's great news. Okay, how about kefir? Jillian said, he mentioned fermented food in the last episode, 109. Does kefir count as that? I've been growing mine for the past month and drinking it. I think it does. I, I, I Kefir counts. I, I think the jury is definitely out on dairy, period. We are the only species that consumes dairy beyond six months of age, right? Those cows are out there. They, they feed off the udder for six months. They grow 400 pounds in that six months. Maybe that's a signal that that's a density-rich thing made for a cow. Um, but um, So when we take this other species' milk and we start consuming it as an adult, I think that's probably wrong. However, I, I can't tell you biologically that – um, there's no role for this because we have seen, you know, cancer protocols and other things that utilize highly fermented ghee and fermented sources of um, something that's similar to cottage cheese and things like this that are ancient, ancient sources of um, healing arts. And so I am not going to discredit thousands of exp years of experience of fermented curds and stuff like this. However, I don't think that's what we're achieving when we make kefir. We're usually taking a very narrow spectrum of bacteria, like a probiotic, and throw that into the into the milk or whatever we're going to turn into the kefir. And I don't think we're getting the same health benefit as we did in the thousands of years of tradition. So I'd say, by and large, I would I never send my patients to kefir as a source of fermented because of the dairy. However, that said, there's been a big surge recently, and it seems to be pretty effective at using coconut uh, milk. And the best way to do this is really with a can of full-fat coconut milk rather than some coconut milk beverage that you get in a box. Get a can of full-fat coconut milk and try to use that as the base of your kefir. Again, think about wild fermentation where you're really exposing that to the air to get the bacteria introduced rather than just doing a starter or a kind of probiotic starter. Okay, Jillian, I hope that helps you. All right, lemon. This one really surprised me. She says, I think I've developed a sensitivity to lemons. I love them in my water, but it causes my joints to hurt. Is that leaky gut? If I have leaky gut, will I ever be able to enjoy lemon in my water again? There's a lot of questions rolled up in that. However you want to attack it is fine with me. You do have leaky gut. We all do exposed to this glyphosate environment that we live in. Two billion kilograms a year, 70% of the rainfall, 75% of the air we breathe, et cetera, et cetera. So you are leaking on some level. And so that's where the restore piece comes in is that it turns out it's the communication network of restore that rebuilds the firewall of that gut lining. And that's why it's become such a staple. Not only does it make your bacterial ecosystem diversify and boom, it helps really shore up that, that front line of defense, which are these tight junction Velcro-like proteins that protect your immune system from the stuff that's in your gut. So you are leaking. If, if something as mild as a lemon is causing bloating and discomfort, uh, you've got leaky gut, no question in my mind. So um, step one, I would just say add that communication network, get the restore back in there. You can even add uh, a teaspoon of the restore to your lemon juice water and go with it that direction. Um, but I would try the apple cider vinegar instead of the lemon juice for a period of time. It might be a week, might be three weeks, might be a month. You might just stick with the apple cider vinegar. But the, I, I think the vinegar is more effective at, out, at creating that highly al uh, high alkalinity effect of the water that you're going for with both lemon okay. juice and, and ACV or apple cider vinegar. Um, I think if the apple cider vinegar is more effective, but um, I would try after a week or two of the apple cider vinegar and keep the restore in the mix and see if you can't go back to some lemon juice with, with better efficacy. Okay, fascinating. All right, so one more reader question, and then I have a last question for you. So Chrissy says, I know you're not a fan of sustained probiotic use, but 
is this bone broth craze really helping our guts? Okay, I'm not sure those two things are related. Forget the probiotics, the bone broth. Is the bone broth craze really helping our guts? And I'd like to qualify this and say homemade or farm sourced bone broth. And I thought you were a fan, but now I'm wondering if you're a fan of beef broth rather than chicken broth. Talk to me about broth. Yeah, so I, I would say, again, jury is out. And and the reason is, again, is because we have changed the way this stuff is made. So you've made some nice caveats there. You know, you're going to make this at home. Then, of course, the question is, well, what am I going to make it from? What bone is actually going to be yeah. safe? And because the bone marrow, unfortunately, is a very fatty environment in a, in a cow or a chicken. And so you're going to get a high density of toxin accumulating there, heavy metals, aluminum, all the rest in that fat. So, you know, was bone broth great for us in the ages past? Absolutely. Um, is it easy to make a clean bone broth now? Extremely difficult, I would say. Um, so if you're making that extreme effort to make an extremely clean bone broth at home and you're growing your own cow out back, and I mean, I do have patients that are going to these kinds of extremes. I cannot grow a cow. Like, I can barely grow a tomato. Yeah, that, that's how I feel, too. It's like, if basil <laughs> plant's not going to make it in the window, the cow's probably not going to do well out back. Um, so anyway, no, I think that, you know, the reality is the higher we eat on the food chain, the more challenging it is to eat clean. If you're already making those efforts to create a clean be- uh, bone broth, I'm not going to stop, not going to discourage that at all. But I think we can get those fats from other sources and so i really think that we can look to the plant kingdom to get those uh lower on the food chain therefore less toxin therefore healthy oils and fats uh, without going to the to the bone broth as, as a necessity again if you've got a successful program going with bone broth don't stop it okay i was going to ask you how do you know if you have a leaky gut and you've said if you have a gut you have a leaky gut probably if you're of a, you know if you've lived on this planet long enough yeah i would yeah you hit that last caveat so if you have a gut and you're on planet earth you've got leak that, that's pretty much where we're at right now so there are definitely areas though of the world that has less glyphosate than we do and so Many of my patients have experienced, I just went to Paris and I ate gluten and I ate meat and I ate all this stuff that I would never eat in the States and I felt fantastic. And so I decided I was healed of my leaky gut problem and I came back to the States and with two weeks, I felt horrible eating this stuff that I had just eaten successfully in Europe. So we, we've experienced that in our own bodies. You probably have where you may not even go to Europe, but you might pop up to Canada or you go to a, a new community where there's a cleaner food supply within the U.S. or whatever it is, and you're going to feel a difference with the same, quote-unquote, same food eating. And so, uh, you know, there are cleaner spots on Earth, but the reality is you need to assume that there is some level of leak in your gut. And remember, that's not just the, the gut in your intestines. We're talking about the gut that starts at your nose. The nasal sinuses are the beginning of your gut flora. It's where you start to really breed a lot of the important bacteria that will ultimately seed your gut. And it's also the first line of defense for your immune system. So every time you breathe, you're bringing in all kinds of pollen and dust and pollution. And if that's going across leaky membranes because you just breathe glyphosate, you're going to have a problem. And I'd say it's some 80% of America right now that is facing some sort of form of post-nasal drainage, chronic nasal congestion, sinusitis, polyps in the nose. It goes on and on and on. That inflammatory environment in in the sinus is is the gut, and so when I say gut, I'm really talking nose to st- uh, nose to rectum there, stem to stern. Got the whole system involved, and so there's a, a really powerful tool that we've been using and brought out to the market just in January, which is the Sh- Restore Nasal Spray, and it's there to bring that same level of support to the Velcro-like tight junctions of your 
nasal environment as you are to your gut environment. And so it's been a boon for people who have so much gut bloating and discomfort, they can start to introduce a shift in their microbiome by using the nasal spray and not having to take anything orally initially. But you can introduce that nasal one as a gentler fashion to kind of get that biome starting to shift before you go oral. So help me wrap this up for those of us who are a little overwhelmed and we're like, and I'll be real honest with you, Dr. Zach, we're like, okay, so chicken is the enemy. Um, I'm trying to eat clean. I'm trying to go fresh, but the soil is depleted. The rain is filled with toxins. Like, holy cow, where do I start? Like, how do I win this game called life, Dr. Zach? Such a good question. And it's one that, you know, we have to overcome on a daily basis. And the short answer is love. Uh, we need to start loving ourselves. And um, the simple thing of just loving yourself before you stress out about your food is going to help you be more intuitive about what you put on your plate. Don't let the fad diets guide what's on your plate. Love yourself and listen to yourself. And if your body is saying, you know, I really could just use some steamed veggies and rice right now. I'm not supposed to eat white things. I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not, well, just eat what, what that is. And if you're listening to your body and it says, you know, I really want chicken. Well, Dr. Bush told me I shouldn't be eating chicken. If your body's telling you to do it, eat it and then listen to the results. Listen to the results of that meal. I can, I can be very confident that you're going to have an increase in inflammation somewhere in the system. But until you experience that yourself and let your brain connect the dots, it's, it's not going to be able to figure things out. So I would say love yourself first and then trust your intuition. Educate yourself for sure. You can listen to me and a million other opinions on diet, but you're gonna ultimately going to have to take that back to you, and you're going to have to love yourself and really listen to yourself and your response to your environment. Too many people get stuck on a diet and say, well, I'm convinced this works, but I feel like crap. Well, if you feel like crap, then shift it. Shift it and, and start to really ask some bigger questions about what do I want? What does my body want? to have. So that's step one. Love yourself and listen to intuition. Step two, of course, is we've got to start taking responsibility at the micro level of growing food. We outsource this sucker. Monsanto's not the bad guy. Monsanto's the symptom of our pursuit of a convenience lifestyle where we outsource food. And so we have to start to take that into consideration. We have to start taking personal responsibility of what we put in our mouth. And this can be very challenging. I travel all the time lecturing all over the world and I frankly, leave the house all the time unprepared. So then I, it's very challenging when I'm unprepared for the road to eat healthy. And so I find myself doing a lot of fasting on the road. And I have found that to be a great source. Fasting is always an option. Every religion on the planet has told us to fast. And so don't feel like, oh, shoot, I left the house unprepared. I'm just going to have to eat crap food for two days. Well, you know what? You could fast for two days, stay well hydrated, get some mineral water, Really take care of yourself, love on yourself, and celebrate the opportunity to cleanse the bowels, give your bowel a break. There's so much toxin in our food now. If just by not eating for two days, oh my gosh, what a relief to the system. It can catch up. It can have a break. So these are some kind of outside-the-box, perhaps, concepts for you. And I'm not telling you you need to go do it today, but just start to broaden your sense of self and your connection to the, to the world and think about what, through all human history, what have we done? We've gone through starvation patterns. We go through spiritual fasting and retreats. We go through all kinds of practices for spirituality that would dictate a healthier gut. 
There's so much here. All right, Dr. Zach, I've taken too much of your time, but I've enjoyed every minute of it and I've learned so much. Thank you so, so much. So appreciate what you do. It's such an exciting thing to see an engaged listening uh, audience. The fact that they're getting back to you and, and getting their feedback back to us to keep this conversation going. This is how we're ultimately going to heal the planet is we need to be in communication. We talked about the microscopic communication today. This is the macroscopic communication going on on this show. And I just appreciate, Ella, what you're doing for the community through this effort of yours to communicate and educate. And uh, we really appreciate you bringing me back on. I think it makes it much more fruitful. So I look forward to the next one. Dr. Zach, until next time, take care. You too. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.